What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Happy New Year! As we're revisiting some of our autumnal adventures, we've got some amazing conversations to share. On deck today, we're talking culture secrets. Want to know what a value culture is? You're in the right spot. We're going to also talk about Fruit Loops, driving trucks, and monkeys. We've got the sweet tea-sipping, sassy southerner, Chelly Phillips, on the program today. And if you don't know Chelly, settle in. We'll do the rest. She's an author, speaker, consultant, and all-around good egg. She's a former journalist with 20-plus years in marketing and communications. And Chelly is the author of three, count them, three books. Number one, when in doubt, delete it. Number two, get noticed, get hired. And the new culture secrets, secrets leaders use to build a value culture. That's what we're going to be talking about today. She's also the host of the podcast, Culture Secrets. Check them out. This conversation was a blast, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Chelly Phillips on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Welcome, everybody. It is so good to see you. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Wednesday, and that means it's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 18th of October, 2023. It is two birthdays today. It is the birthday of our co-host on the show and my co-host in life, Lori Lance. And it is the birthday (laughs) of you, me, we, why we all need a friend at work and how to show up as one. And I said I was going to say this every show (laughs) until the book was one year old. And that is today. So... You probably won't ever see this again. Probably. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? I don't feel compelled to do it. Hey, Lori Freemeyer. In the flush. Live. Are you you in your house? Are you walking through an airport? I I am. No, I'm in my house. (laughs) Excellent. For once. (laughs) Excellent. Well, it's good to see you. Like I said, it's birthday day. It is the 18th of October. It is the 181st time that we've convened this group of amazing folks. And today's going to be a good day. We've got a guest on the show today. Like I like to say, she's the person that you don't know in your little Brady Bunch (laughs) view. (laughs) Today, we have Shelly Phillips. She's the author of Culture Secrets, Any Leader Can Use to Build a Value Culture. So we're going to talk about what that means We're going to talk about employee engagement. We're going to talk about bears and monkeys. It's going to be a full day. (laughs) See, Laurel, you walked in right at the right time. Bears and monkeys, right? I'll I'll fit right in. See, (laughs) it's a menagerie here today on The Bartender. We've got some upcoming guests to be uh, aware of, we've got Dr. Julian Miravel and his co-author, Alexander Lyon. They're going to be here on the 1st of November. They wrote a book called Positive Communication for Leaders, Proven Strategies for Inspiring Unity and Affecting Change. That's something we're interested in learning about. But we've got one of my favorite upcomers here. Yeah. Everything I needed to know in sales, <laughs> I learned 
behind the bar. So we have an actual bartender on the bartender. It's too good to pass up. So I am stoked about that. I was actually reading his book on the airplane yesterday, and uh, I got lots of questions for the bartender, <laughs> Coom author. So that's going to be fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into our conversation today. We have a guest, as I mentioned at the top of the show, her name is Shelly Phillips. I loved, I love when people send their bios because I'm always interested in what identifying factors they include. So I'm just going to read this first line from her bio and just watch your faces. Shelly Phillips is a sweet tea sipping, sassy Southerner with the passion for helping dynamic, career-minded professionals stand out for all the right reasons. I mean, what do you think about that? Sweet tea sipping is her lead-in to her entire bio. I thought that was pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic. She's an author. She's a coach. She's a trainer. She She's written books, three books. In the pre-show, I asked her, I said, I've written one book. I don't know that I want to do that again. She's like, I know. <laughs> She agreed with me, but she keeps doing it. So we're going to talk about her book. Uh, we're going to talk about her book, Culture Secrets, today. We're going to talk about what is this concept of a value culture. We're going to talk about employee engagement. I let her know that that's a frequent topic here at The Bartender and that all of our people are HR people, many of them, and they're looking for some tips and tricks as to how to always work on that elusive employee engagement. So with that... I didn't warn her about our, our ritual for getting guests onto the show, but Shelly, you're about to learn we dance them on. So let's give oh. her a, a big warm TCV welcome, Shelly. Yes. She's right in there. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Welcome, Shelly. Thanks for being here with us today. I am so looking forward to this. It's going to be a great <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> you're yeah, right. And it's clearly into happy hour in, in Georgia where you are today, right? We are after five, so it's it's all legal as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheers you because, you know, like they say, it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock at Shelly's house. So this is it. Cheers. Well, so I always ask my guests a little bit about where they came from. And Shelly, I don't imagine that when you were but a wee baby, you said, I'm going to grow up to be an author, coach, motivational speaker, and write a bunch of books about engagement, culture, and 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 people issues in business what did you want to do and how did you get here well when i was just a wee lass i actually wanted to be a truck driver that was that was what i wanted to be it had nothing to do with <laughs> books coaching speaking anything why and, did you want to be um, a truck driver <laughs> i was fascinated with the show bj and the bear when i was growing up uh -huh. because i thought all truck drivers got to have a sidekick monkey with them and so <laughs> I mean, it made perfect sense in my six-year-old brain, and, you know, it, it took a long time for people to convince me otherwise that that's not necessarily the case. So six-year-old so, Shelly thought the fastest path to monkey sidekickdom was driving a truck. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a puppy, and that was really cool, but the, the monkey thing just seemed really, like, you know, over the top, and I couldn't convince mom and dad to get one, so I'm like, well, if I'm going to have one, I have to be a truck driver, so... <laughs> Because they come with the truck, apparently. Absolutely. Apparently, that's the way it was. <laughs> so, so the truck driver thing didn't work out. Where did you no. Where did you go from there? How did you re-identify who you are when you decided, dang it, truck drivers don't include monkeys, so what's next for me? 
So I, I blame a fifth grade teacher for um, inspiring the love of writing and everything. And Miss Gato, she was from New York, and here we are from South Alabama. So she was already this this larger than life personality, and she came in colors, and she was our English language arts person. And every week in her class, we'd have to. Um, pick a photo out of this magic pile that she had and we had to write some kind of story about it. Didn't mm. matter what it was, but it, you never knew what you were going to draw and you had to come up with something. And so I started writing then and just never quit. And so left there, went into journalism and realized that, you know, that's fun and dandy if you don't want to have a life outside of getting up at 4 a.m. and going covering things or working till midnight and, you know, then weekends and whatever else. And so I said, well, let's to corporate PR. Let's go into the utility world. And then you deal with hurricanes and tornadoes and storms that don't seem to happen at normal times of day either. So that didn't so, fix your problem with getting up in the middle of the night and going to do it something. It didn't, which just made me drink a whole lot more sweet tea and a lot more caffeinated <laughs> beverages for the rest of my life. But um, so I did that for, for a long time and um, have, have enjoyed a career in the utility world doing, doing that and then started my own business, which turned into the speaking and, and, and the writing and everything else as well. So Awesome. So when you made that switch to go into your own business and to, to focus on writing for you, tell us a little bit before we get into the new book, tell us a little bit about that first and second book and what they're all about and and why we should read those as well as your new book. So the, the first, I think, was one of the once 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 I decided that's what I wanted to do is is, is to write and and write. I had been blogging for a while and 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 had a lot of ideas and um, but the premise for the book, the book, the first book I had was called When in Doubt, Delete It. Oh, well, and, that sounds very fascinating. Uh, what, tell me, what do you mean when you say "when in doubt, delete it"? Well, it came because I had a sucky boss, okay. and um, <laughs> basically, he fired off an email one night. Um, he came in. I had worked for the company for twenty plus years, and um, the CEO retired. We got another CEO in who was an accountant who really didn't find value in marketing and communications. Was you know like, why do I need it? You've already got a member base, you know, right? And Basically, one evening he told me, well, just make up a column about me and my granddad because that's what you people do is just make that's up something. That's what you yeah. people do. Okay. And so it was kind of at that moment when I realized, you know, probably not going to make inroads here. Do I want to stay 15 more years till I could retire? Do I want to look for something else? And this went back and forth for a while. And I ended up with an email from him that basically said that he wanted to know if my skills came from a box of Fruit Loops, like the prize inside wow. when we were kids. And so it was one of those kick in the pants moments. And I'm very reactive. And if you'd been sitting next to me, you'd have been able to tell everything I was thinking by the way my face looked. And so I'm firing off this email going, basically, you're a moron. You don't know anything about demographics <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. And anyway, a good friend of mine happened to be sitting near me and said, you might not want to send that till you have another plan in place. And, you know, mm. so I went home and, and stewed on it and ended up having a conversation and starting my journey to find someplace else to go after that. But that's really what started the first book. So did you delete that email? I'm curious. I did delete that okay. email. However, I kept his email for a long time as nice motivation to make sure I found something better where I was valued more than a box of Fruit Loops. So I'm curious and, though, Shelly, do you, do you, do you eat Fruit Loops anymore or Fruit Loops uh, I don't know if you can see them behind me. There's boxes of Fruit Loops that I keep. Yes. And funny story is that um, 
growing up, I probably had a bowl of Fruit Loops and a glass of chocolate milk, probably at least three out of the five days before I went to school every day. So it, it's kind of like it was fitting that it was that, and it's fitting that that's kind of become um, one of the things I speak on is finding your worth in the box of Fruit Loops. And um, <laughs> and so it, it, it's really entertaining, but the book itself came from, there's five edits in life that we should do. There's things you should delete, things you should begin, things that you should move towards and away from, things you should... Um, basically leave the same set as an as an edit that we get as a journalist sometimes, which means leave it the way you had it. It was I liked it after I read it through, I realized what you were doing. So all about remaining true to yourself and that kind of thing. So that book is built in five buckets and the title just kind of stuck when I, I was thinking about it like, well, okay, yeah, there are some things that you should delete sometimes. And when in doubt, just delete the sucker and move on. Um so but yeah, so that it. story is more kind of more personal success. My second book was Get Noticed, Get Hired, which is the orange one over here. Um, and that came, I worked with college women for about 14 years. I was an advisor on campus with, um, with a sorority. Mm -hmm. And so I had all the leaders worked with them. And what we found was when they were getting ready to graduate, if they didn't get a degree or a job offer in their degree field right to begin with, and they took what I call get by jobs, whether it's mm -hmm. retail, barista, anything that was that was not necessarily in their field. When they did get the offer, they were coming in five to eight thousand dollars less than what their counterparts who accepted one right at graduation were offered. Oh, Somehow, so they, were, they were they were digging out of a hole from the get go. Yeah, so somehow being in the workplace and showing up and, and being reliable and knowing that I can interact with customers or clients or coworkers somehow devalued my education. Hmm. And so really began working with them on how do you position yourself on LinkedIn? How do you interview well? And then what can you do in the first 90 days to make sure you stay on the radar for the right reasons and then kind of set your path at work going forward if this is where you want to stay or how do you move up? And so that book is really based around the journey that I took with them on so, setting yourself up for career success. I love it. So since it's Jennifer's midterm day, if you were going to give Jennifer one piece of career advice coming into the workforce, what would that one nugget, that one pearl of wisdom be? Is make yourself irresistible to your boss. And I don't mean that in any kind of weird kind of way. You but, mean like Fruit Loops. Be yes, exactly. Be irresistible. Like Absolutely. Um, but really what it is, is like, how can I provide value to my boss at that immediate moment? Whether it is that they don't have to come find me to figure out where I stand on projects or whatever. Uh, one of the things I do with my team is we do Monday morning check-ins. So I ask them, what are the top five things that you're working on? this week? Or, and then I ask them, is there anything carrying over from last week that you need my help with or anything like that? And then I ask them for a win that they had the week before. And then on Thursday, I follow up. But if you did the same thing to your boss, like, here's what I'm working on, here's what's left over, then they're not chasing you down trying to find that you become the person that is, hey, I'm giving them the information, I'm showing up, I'm letting them know where I stand. And I think it makes you stand out for all the right reasons in the workplace now. Love it. You got that, Jennifer? Did you get that down? Yes, that's really good advice. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So those are the first two books. I love that we've worked in Fruit Loops into in addition to uh, monkeys, monkeys and Bears. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So 
shift me into culture secrets. How did you go from from a recruitment book, a positioning book for for women in the workforce into this corporate culture idea? What was the what was the the catalyst for that shift? So in the corporate world, I'm a VP of communications and PR. And one of the things I was tasked with was a lot of internal change, like change management and how do we get employees more receptive to those kind of things. Of course, going through COVID, you know, how do we keep everybody on track and everything else? And what what I really found was communications is really the key to everything. And it's Amen. it's not generally, I mean, like it's not how many newsletters you have or where your website is or anything like that. It's literally having conversations with people. Like they individual just, conversations with humans? It's amazing, isn't it? Wow. I know it's a concept that's really lost between texting and everything else that out, out there now. But just real conversations and, and not being afraid to share the why. People are generally more receptive when they know why something is being done, not that it's just being thrown at them or it's not just change for changes, you know purpose or anything like that. And so part of that shift led me to developing our own internal leadership program that we had inside the organization and dealt with personal and professional development for a group of our employees. They ended up spending a year with me one day a month and we did all kinds of training in-house or I'd bring speakers in and being able to track that shift and see what worked and how those changes happen is what actually led to the the, the value secrets or culture secrets book. Okay. So I love it. It has an acronym in the title. It's mm-hmm. not, it says value culture and that's not just a word. It's V A L U E. And I went to school. So I know that when there are dots after it, it means it stands for something. So what that's- is a value culture? What does that mean? So value culture, and and we were talking before before this went live is that I literally woke up at 3 AM one night and I had this value culture formula in my head. And I'm like, okay, I have to write this down because I'm not going to go back to sleep until I put it put it in my notes on my thing because it's like it kept just twirling around and around. I'm like, okay, get it out of your head and go back to sleep. Well, that didn't work either. So I ended up spending about an hour and a half sketching out a book that night and got no sleep. But value hopefully, culture... Hopefully you had time to have a bowl of Fruit Loops <laughs> along that journey. Yeah, that one was more Coke Zero <laughs> night. But anyway, <laughs> so, but, but value culture, V is for vision, A is for accountability, L is for leadership, U is the uniqueness of your people, and E is the engagement that you grow when you put all of those other pieces in the right order and do the right things. I love it. All right, so you had this vision. You had this mm-hmm. epiphany. You, you came up with this, this system that popped into your brain. How did you build that out and, and, and come to explain, okay, these things connect to bigger engagement, more productivity, and greater employee happiness at work. Yeah, so the big thing, especially with the vision piece of it, is people get really confused between vision and mission. You know, your mission Mm. statement stuck on the side of the wall. Everybody looks at it when they walk in. Nobody can tell you what it is or what it says or what it (laughs) is. You know, I mean, like it's just a piece of paper that gets dusty over time. But the vision is really why are we here? What are we doing? Why do you want to work here? What is our bigger than life mission and going on? And really and truly, when you can get your team bought in to what the vision is, and they feel like they're part of the success of that organization, meaning they have something to contribute to making that vision come true, then you're, you're, you're so far ahead on that engagement scale and also on 
customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, retention, mm. recruitment, all of those things fall together because when they can see the big picture and they feel that they're part of something, they're going to become your, what I call brand advocates for you at that point in time, yeah. because they're going to be sharing that with their friends or colleagues, their neighbors. And then also the people that they're interacting with, their coworkers are going to enjoy being where they're at. They're going to enjoy having those relationships and growing that kind of connection inside. And then that just spreads externally as well. So it's funny, right? Vision, mission, values. We hear this all the time. And I'm sort of lukewarm on, on these initiatives because not because they're not valuable, but because they're often inelegantly performed, right? Um, you know, you mentioned the dusty poster in the lobby. You know, I, I say all the time that vision, mission, values make great poster wear. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are very few companies that do it really well, such that, to your point, the employees even know what they are. Like We do a lot of, uh, of work with intact teams, and sometimes we'll be talking about, the leader will say something like, I want to make sure that we connect the values of the business to the work that we do. And one of the first questions I ask is, who here can tell me what the values are of this organization? And they go, uh, er integrity, uh, leadership. They, they just, they don't know. I think the why, key to why that, do companies get this wrong? I, I think the key to it is because they have become such kind of buzzwords in what we're doing. Like when you talk about values, everybody says, oh, I have values. I have a value system. We've grown up with a value system. But the thing is, is that we never actually sit down and put behaviors to the values that we expect. Mm. So what, what, what behavior models that value that you're talking about, because you have to give someone tangible, you Mm -hmm. know, something tangible to look at and go, well, if I do this, then I am exhibiting this. Mm -hmm. And I know that's where we're going. And that's part of that whole visioning thing that I was talking about earlier. And I think it's really important that your values don't get set in a, in a corner office, your values get set Mm -hmm. by the teams doing the work. And you can't build a culture from the top down. You have to be in and amongst everything that's going on to build a strong people-centered culture inside organizations today. You can't be afraid to ask your employees, what is it that you see? What are we doing well? What what do we need to do better? And I think, or what I've seen in the in the in the programs that I've built and been part of and what we're seeing when we're going out doing some of these workshops and different things like that is when you get their feedback and then you narrow it down, you ask everybody, well, what, what, what values do you associate with us? What value do you associate with team? What do you, what values do you care at as a person? When you can mix what people care at as a person themselves, their personal values and tie them in with the organizational values, it's there, there's so much more likely that they're going to exhibit those on a day-to-day basis. And then when you give them a particular behavior that they can check off and say, oh, I'm doing this. I know this is what they're expecting of me because people don't like to wonder, is this what we're talking about or Mm -hmm. not? When you can give them something to firmly grasp and say, yep, if I do that, then X, I've accomplished this, then it makes everybody where they're on the same page and they're moving in the same direction. But if you, you, you have to actually be willing to have that conversation that we were talking about face to face with people mm-hmm. and listen to that feedback. And, you know, the feedback, you know, what may not be what you were thinking you were going to get initially. You may right. be surprised at some of the feedback. And I think that's one of the things a lot of 
leaders inside companies are really afraid to do sometimes is they might be afraid that the feedback they're going to get doesn't match what the corporate line is or what's going. And then, okay, well, what do we do? We've been doing it wrong for all this point in time. I don't think you look at it, you've been doing it wrong. It's probably evolved over the years. And maybe you need to look at well, what is our mission now? How has things changed? What have we implemented that has made this change happen? And how do we get back on track? Or how do we actually rechart the course that we're going to get where we want to be? I like it. Um, Laurel, you dropped some an image into the chat here. Can you tell us what that is? I'd love to get Shelly's take on, on what you're putting into the into the conversation. It is the vision from Sunrise Bank's uh, they're in the Midwest. Let me find them. If you know Kathleen Brank, she is the HR guru there. Um, nice. So Sunrise Banks uh, is they they uh, brand themselves as the world's most socially responsible bank. I was going to say that's an interesting set of values for a bank. Can you can you read them for people that? Don't have sure. the privilege of seeing them for us. Yeah, there. It's a force for good, brightens the room, respects all, uh, never not my job, oh. and always learning. And uh, so Kathleen just posted that on LinkedIn within the last week, and um, I just went, "Oh my gosh, I love that!" It's not out of a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't just take it off of somebody else's wall. Right. Um, and and she said, yeah, they um, they actually used all levels. It wasn't top down. It was collective. It was everything that I think Shelley and others who have done these sorts of exercises would um, would encourage you to do. Uh, so they call themselves a force for good. They want to make a positive impact. Um, they're. Their other statements are mission first mindset, others before self. They give back. She, mm-hmm. she does. She has a lot of posts on on their inclusive community and how they put feet to that in their community. Mm-hmm. A lot of outreach. Say, um, say her name again. Kathleen with a K. Brink. B R E N K. Kathleen Brink of Sunrise Banks. Yeah, she was in Denver for a long time uh worked for slash with me came came out of ditch I'm sorry for her. yeah came out of <laughs> ditch so i was a dream compared to that back in the day um yeah you know charlie listens to this show <laughs> <laughs> i bet he does not and we're going yeah. to we're going to we're going to we're going to increase kathleen's lead uh, linkedin following by single digits here today <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so, so this really reminds me I, I, when she's bringing this up. I said, so part of the thing that was so much fun doing this book was that I was able to interview a lot of culture leaders. And, and some of them are people you probably know, like Gary Ridge with WD-40, but some of them are probably people that you don't know. And, and one of them is a company that's, it's, it's a, it used to be a mom and pop and they have now franchised and grown, but they're keeping themselves in the Southern region. It's called King of Pops. They okay. make gourmet popsicles. Okay. And so we were talking with them about how do you maintain culture once you've grown? Okay. You're not a mom and pop entrepreneur kind of organization anymore. You're franchised. There's people in multiple States. How do you keep the culture that you had as this mom and pop? Mm-hmm. And like, 
one of their things they were talking about was creating unexpected moments of happiness. So that's their whole theme is like popsicles make people happy. And like, we want to be part of the community and we want to do things. And it so reminds me of, of the graphic that you showed, but I was flipping through when she was doing this because it, one of the things, their core values are get sweaty, get it done, wear the shirt, be thoughtful, stay hungry and good vibes only. Mm. And so a lot of what they do is like a cartpreneur kind of like, so that during the summer, they'll put kids on carts. So it's wear the shirt, you're in the South, so you're going to get sweaty, um, you know, and so, but it's about building those vibes in the community and being where the fun is happening and, and really bringing moments of happiness to people. And so, you know, the, while, while I was wanting to be a truck driver, you know, they were talking about <laughs> that people don't grow up and say, I want to sell popsicles for a living either. And so it takes a special kind of person to get into this kind of business, you know, and and do and be out there, be at all the events, be the face of all these kind of things. And so to me, that is really what makes cultures unique mm-hmm. is that they are uniquely yours and the organization that you are and they should reflect the people that are part of it and they should reflect the tone that you have you know if it's an irreverent kind of company they should probably be a little irreverent in their kind of yeah. goals so, or values so that people relate to them the ones that are working there are going to show up and they're going to do that and that you know like his very clearly get sweaty okay if you're going to come work for us you're going to get sweaty we know this is going to happen and so you shouldn't be surprised if you know like you're walking around and <laughs> and you know like you know can I need a shower at the end of the day because I've been out there all day in the park selling these popsicles and things. And so, but they actually sat down with their group of employees and came up with those because when they started making this expansion into the franchising world and and starting that, they wanted to make sure that they kept it. So what mattered to their people and what did they want to make sure that other people who got into this world and got into this business were representing them as? Mm. I like it. I like it. And you know, it's funny, right? It's, it's the, to your point, Shelley, it's the connecting the behaviors to the words on the wall so you can learn how to walk that talk. I like wear the shirt. At Laurel's company, I think that value would be wear a shirt, just any shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so the second letter in the value system here is accountability, and that's another poster wear word for me. Everybody says it. It's baseball, motherhood, and apple pie. Everybody <laughs> wants accountability. Not very many companies are great at accountability. So how does accountability factor into your value system? So accountability for me, um, and there's part of the book talks about that you can you can lead from your cubicle. You don't have to lead from a corner office and your title doesn't have to be director, manager, whatever it is. And so to me, accountability is that self-accountability that I'm going to show up. I am going to be the person that I said I'm going to be. I'm going to deliver what I said I'm going to do and that I'm going to treat others the same way that I want to be treated. Because in doing so, then I am modeling the behavior that I expect from others and hoping that it spreads. So that accountability is all also from the organization to the employees that to me is that goes back to that that two-way conversation is that I value your input I'm going to listen to it and we're going to have a two-way conversation about this doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with you doesn't mean it's always going to happen but at least I'm open to hearing the conversation and providing the feedback as to why it's either not going to happen or this is something we'll take under advisement or hey maybe not now but later and so Um, 
so accountability is is huge to me in the fact that you can't have values if you're not going to hold somebody accountable to them. It doesn't make sense. That's why the behaviors, assigning the behaviors to those values is so important because you when you when you agree on the set of values and you agree on that set of behaviors you're basically agreeing at that point in time is that yes i will be accountable to this i will show up i will live this way when i am here from 8 to 5 or when i'm representing this organization and the the piece of it is no one can make you accountable you choose that on your own whether that is going to be how you show up or not. Now, there can be consequences for it. We can decide that we're not going to tolerate the behavior that's not emulated, whatever. But it is strictly up to you as the individual. And that's a piece that I don't think people talk accountability a lot, mm -hmm. but they don't ever really get down to the fact that it's really a personal decision that you make. Are you going to be accountable or not? And the accountability, you know, we have as a corporate organization, you know, we have to keep the doors open. We have to be financially sound. We have to give you your benefits that we promised you. We have to, you know, make sure the work environment is safe. There's certain things that you're accountable for as an organization, but that accountability, what I'm talking about in building the culture is more that personal accountability that we show up the way we want everyone else to show up. Sort of the walk in the talk idea. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Love it. So that's V and A. L is leadership. Leadership is awesome. We need it. How does it sit in your framework? So you can't you can't build a strong culture without what I call transformational leaders. And transformational leaders are the people that have their heart in it. You can't come to work with just your brain. You have to bring your heart. I'm sorry. That may not be politically correct in a lot of places, but, you know, I'm from the <laughs> South and we do a lot of blesser hearts and huggins around here. And so you're going to have to bring your heart to the office. And that really just means, you know, getting to know your people understand who they are, making sure that you're having that conversation that we're talking about. Do you really care why they're here? What are they doing? You know, do you know the impact that they have on your organization? And then it's about modeling the behavior. I don't expect my team to do anything that I'm not doing myself. And I don't necessarily mean everyday task, mm -hmm. but if I'm if I want to have conversation, then I'm having conversation with them. If I want feedback, I'm I'm willing and open to take that feedback as well. Does it mean, you know, I'm on time for our meetings? It means that I'm following up on emails. It means if I told you I'm going to give you something that you need to get your work done, I'm bringing that to you when I said I'm going to do that. So so again, that leadership responsibility in, in modeling the behaviors that we want, that living those values that we show up, and I am taking that accountability upon myself to say that as a leader and as the, the person that is guiding this team, then I'm going to do these same things that I'm expecting from you. Got it. All right. We're now to the you, which I've been looking forward to because uniqueness, <laughs> uniqueness like truck drivers with monkeys. What does uniqueness mean? Ruby's shaking her head at me. She's like, I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what does uniqueness mean and why is that important to building culture and engagement? So uniqueness is all about the individual that's part of your team. It's getting to know what makes them unique. What value do they bring to the table? What are their unique skill sets? And it's also about finding about them as a person. It's about building that relationship. 
because no one wants to come to work and feel like they're not seen or heard for, you know, eight hours a day, 90,000 hours of our life, I think is what they say that we're in the workplace. And if I don't feel like someone sees me or someone knows who I am, it's about creating that sense of belonging. You know, that's one of the basic human needs that we have is we want to feel like we belong somewhere or that we're part of something. And when we do that by honoring how each person shows up and we all bring you know, our life experiences to the office with us. Maybe we have kids at home. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're dog parents. Maybe we're, you know, we have aging elderly parents that we're taking care of now. Maybe someone in our family has a terminal illness. Maybe our kid's just rotten and like I'm having (laughs) parent-teacher concerts all the time. And, you know, I'm stressed to bejesus about this. And so, you know, whatever it is, we bring all that to the office with us. And as that leader in that organization, it's important for us to have at least an understanding of what's happening in the lives of the people that we are working with on a daily basis. And because when we do that, we understand how our decisions that we're making are going to impact them both at work and outside of work. And when we, I call it, you know, like basically walking in their shoes when we're making the decisions, if they feel like we've walked in their shoes, or at least we understand that the path that they're on, then people are more likely to be receptive of those changes and those ideas and actually try to make them happen the best way that they can because they know that I've considered them, their situation, and I'm making the best of the the decision that I can so that everybody is most positively impacted. Also in the day, you know, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. It's it's also important that I honor the uniquenesses of our backgrounds and everything, whether it's religious, whether it is you know, our nationalities, whether it is our traditions, whatever it is that we're bringing to the table is to make sure that I understand those and how they impact others in the workplace and how I can bring that approach into the office as well. Can I give you time to spotlight that? Or can we use this in a way that you can highlight that with other people and share some of your background so that people can get to know you better? And so, Uniqueness of the people is one of my favorite ones, probably of the five in the value cultural formula, because I'm a people person by nature. I was a journalist. So it's all about people's story to me. What makes Mm. you tick? How do you show up? And, you know, I think some of that's been lost in corporate culture along the way is like we get really focused on bottom line and making it happen and productivity and all of these kind of things, which will all come if you do all these other things as well. But really focusing on the people that are doing it, really making them feel like they are of value and that they're heard and that they're seen and that they have a place there. And because they're unique is why they have that place there. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, we, we talk about this in the work that we do. Uh, we have a model called the four yeses and it's about diagnosing the quality of the relationships that you have. And the four yeses, there are four questions. Uh, can I count on you? Can I depend on you? Do I care about you? And do I trust you? And do I care about you is is my favorite question because people are like, oh, that's soft and fluffy and we don't need that at work. And do I care about you isn't, it doesn't mean that. It's to just what you said. Do I care enough about you as a human being to know what your story is, right? Because if I do, the chances of my investing in this relationship are way higher than if I don't. You know, I was coaching a CEO one time and he said, do I really have to be friends with these people? I just want to do my job and go home. And I'm like, well, you can, right? And it's never going to be awesome. So that takes us to engagement. That's that's what wraps this whole framework together. Talk to us about, about engagement and how that works in your model. So basically engagement is the... Is- 
is the end point of all this. When you do all of this other right, you don't have to work for engagement because mm. it comes naturally from doing all of these other things. Because if you've created a place where people are following the same vision and they have the same values and they understand the behaviors, that they're accountable for those and they're showing up modeling the behaviors that you have put out there. If you have strong leaders who have the heart of the organization and the heart of their people there, and you're making people feel like they belong and you're recognizing their talents and skills you're going to get that engagement naturally and you're going to get that productivity. You're going to get that, you know, you're going to get the customer satisfaction level that you want. You're going to get higher recidivism on, you know, people staying in the place that they are. You're going to get better recruitment because they're going to be out there talking about this is a great place to work because they invest in us and what's going on. So that engagement comes naturally at that point in time. It's not something you have to force. It's not about giving us a t-shirt. It's not about having a funky <laughs> little dinner or having, you know, the, um, so, you know, like what the ping, ping pong tournament or any of that kind of thing. And, you know, I think it, what, it, like I said, one of the things that was really interesting about putting this book together was I did get to talk to a lot of people. And I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Childs, he's the CHRO of Panasonic um, mm -hmm. and happened to be about 45 minutes from their headquarters here. So I see him a lot at, at events and everything. And it was talking about when they were starting to build culture that, you know, he, he got tasked with, okay, we need to turn the culture around in this organization and all this kind of stuff. And he, he said, I flew all over the place. I interviewed a lot of, of leaders at different companies that we heard were getting it right, or, you know, the top places to work and they got the awards mm -hmm. over and over again, kind of thing. And he said, I came back thinking we need coffee bars. We need ping pong tables, beanbag chairs, and we need casual Fridays and maybe better food in the cafeteria. And what he realized is that those are all gimmicks. Like, you know, they're all, they're, they're not really culture builders. You know, they, they work for about a week or two and then people are like, yeah, okay, that's been nice. And I'm go back to my routine because, you know, you can only play ping pong so much during the day, right? Or you won't <laughs> get anything done. And so really and truly, you know, theirs was a journey when he's, you know, he realized, you know, we spent all this money doing these kind of things and we got zero engagement. And so the engagement doesn't come from the things. Right. It comes from the how and the people and the who and the why. It's all about the why. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that, you know, culture gets that bad rap that it's the fluff word. You know, this is all the, the squishy feeling things that happen inside the office. And, you know, I came from the utility background where it's all linemen and, and bucket trucks and hard hats <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and a lot of engineers. And, you know, and, and they look at me when I come and, and I talk about these kind of things and like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, you don't want higher member satisfaction. You don't want less downtime. You want more reliability. Well, you can get all that if you do these things that I'm talking about, but you have to actually put it in the framework that works for the organization that you're at, because you can't just come in and you can't just fix it with, you know, uh, a fish fry Friday or something <laughs> like that. You just actually got to work around the organization and the people that you have and build one that is as unique as you are. I love having a Southerner on the show. We got a bless your heart, a bejesus and a fish fry Friday. That's, I mean, that's the trifecta right there. There you go. It. I love it. There you go. <laughs> this is great. So Shelly, if you were going to give advice to, to an HR leader or an executive who's struggling with their culture and they were looking for a place to start, where do they start? It's easy. Go talk to your people. 
We to there me, you are with this talking thing. I know, I know. It's like you know, it's that journalist in me. You can't get rid of it. It's all about talking and getting the story out of people. But really and truly, you can't define a culture and you can't build one from your office. You have to get out and mix and mingle with the people inside your organization. You've got to find out what makes them tick, what's missing from what's going on, and you've got to be ready to listen to some hard truths occasionally. You know, maybe maybe you put somebody in a role because they are super productive, but they may be one of the worst people managers that Mm. you have out there. And so, you know, you may hear some things that you are like, well, that, you know, that that's contrary to what, you know, like what I think is supposed to happen, but you can't build anything unless you know where you're starting from. And so finding that true, that true picture of what you're starting from and being able to adjust, I think is, is vitally important to being able to build a culture that really represents what you want for the organization. And it represents the people that are there working for you. I love it. I love it. All right. So we've got a framework, we've got language, Ruby and I love language and frameworks. It's, it's makes, it makes scaling somebody's idea much, much easier. Um, I love that it came to you like a bolt of lightning in the middle of the night. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I do want to open it up to questions. Um, what questions do you have for Shelly about this notion of building a value culture and increasing job satisfaction and employee engagement? What you got for her? I have one, but I always go first. So <laughs> look, you already spotlighted me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about uh, some of the work that Eric and I have been doing with um, some executive teams. And um, we talk about the work of leaders as, um, and we use DISC to partner with this, but it's it's building a vision, crafting a vision, right? And then getting some alignment around that vision and then executing. The last two teams that we've we've worked with, we found that they're they're lacking in the middle, the alignment. So they're really good at executing execution their, for days. Yeah, and they so they'll build a vision and then they'll execute and they miss the whole middle. So I know we've talked about um, you know having individual conversations, but if you were coaching this executive leadership team on, okay, you all have to go really work on alignment. Like this is serious. You need to be really intentional about it, even though you're not good at it and you don't love it. What advice would you give them? Or it's, it's sort of a build on to Eric's question, but if they're really being intentional about alignment. So it almost start with the group itself, you know, like, yeah. let's talk through this. Like, are you an, are you as this leadership team, this executive team that you're talking yeah. about, you know, h- how aligned are you each? Because if you're not aligned internally mm-hmm. in that group itself, then your other teams are never going to fall in line with that. Yeah. So are you just talking the talk because we're all sitting in the room together or do you really mm-hmm. buy into it? And are you, you know, in that mode to, to be able to, yeah, I got it. I'm 110 bought in and I'm going to go make sure my people understand the why and that's, you know, and with alignment, a lot of it generally is sometimes is we don't understand the why fully mm-hmm. is that. You know, it it may sound good on paper and, you know, I may have seen it happen someplace else. And so, you know, a 90 percent chance this is probably what we need to do. But I don't fully understand the why myself. So if I don't understand the why, I can't tell my team why. And if I don't 
know that and I can't do that, then I'm not going to be comfortable going out and talking it and pumping it up either. And so mm -hmm. that would be my two thoughts on that, right? W without, you know, kind of knowing the whole situation and yeah. stuff, but like, you almost have to start internally in that room before you can get it outside the room and go externally with it. Yeah. And it's like, it's a slowing down for them too, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a pausing and bring, bringing people along. But I love that idea of like, are we clear? Do we even know what we're doing and why? And mm -hmm. um, yeah. And people that are really good on execution, you know, a lot of time it's like, I, I want to get to the end and move to the next thing. <laughs> and so it, it really, it is about slowing down and making sure, do I understand, you know, we have to have the middle in place or else, you know, we might, we might make it to this end point, but is it repeatable over and over again? If yeah. we don't know all the steps in between and how we're going to get there and how we're going to keep it there. Yeah. yeah. Laurel just said, go slow to go yeah. fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a, a client recently say slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And I was like, <laughs> I know that comes from some movie or something, but it yeah. sounds brilliant. <laughs> awesome. Any other questions for Shelly before we wrap things up for the day? I'm just going to leave Ruby here in the spotlight. <laughs> Actually, I'll remove everybody's spotlight and I'll put the deck back up. Uh, no, I don't want to remove Shelly from the meeting. That would be bad. Come on, Eric. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Hit the right button, would you? <laughs> All right. So her name is Shelly Phillips. Her book is called Culture Secrets, Secrets Leaders Use to Build a Value Culture. And Shelly, Shelly, the journalist, you also have a podcast, don't you? I do. I have the Culture Secrets podcast. I was super creative with the name. I just kept it all the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's branding. So you only have to have one shirt. It just says Culture Secrets on it. Exactly. Right? It's like I can wear it for whatever. I love so. it. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the podcast. So podcasts, some of them are solo episodes with me talking about culture and different things that we've come across in training and everything. A lot of them are the interviews with the leaders that I have in this book uh, because there was so much content, they wouldn't all fit. And thankfully <laughs> to technology now, I recorded everything and was able to take it and use it for the podcast episodes as well. And then, of course, other things that have been coming up, different tools that you can do to track culture. Um some of the new ones that I've found is being able to actually put dollar amounts to your culture Ooh. initiatives because that's really hard to do in a lot of places. Yep. And so that's an upcoming episode that'll be out in a couple of weeks. And, and which is especially in my world that I work in and utility world and stuff, being able to actually give a dollar figure on some of these, these um, ideas that I'm talking about and some of these changes and stuff has been really helpful to be able to push that conversation and actually get it where I can say, yes, you can budget for this. And this is what you're going to get for your return. Uh, so, because that's what those engineers are looking for. They want to know what's the ROI. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ruby just dropped a comment into chat. She said she checked out your website, and there are so many great resources there. Tell us if we want to learn more, where do we find you? So website's great. It's chellyphillips.com. Again, super creative. It's just my name and, and get there. <laughs> and then I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I love to engage on LinkedIn. Um, Chelly Phillips, uh, you can find me there, connect with me. And I, I am a prolific poster, if anything else, because content is easy for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's that journalist again. There right? you go. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And I assume we can find all three books at wherever books are sold. 
everywhere books are sold. Amazon is your friend. They'll put them on your right, you know, on your doorstep. You don't even have to leave the house to go get them anymore. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. We're going to move into our funny things. Good feels, silly cocktail. And then it's dinner time. It's later than dinner time at Shelly's house, so um, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna go as, we're gonna go as expeditiously as one can. All right, here we go. This is from the teacher file. Giving my classroom glue sticks human names has been revolutionary. Does a student care if a glue stick goes missing? No. Do they care if Derek the glue stick has not been returned? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like a manhunt until Derek has been returned to his rightful spot. Yes. Uh, from the 2023 drawer. Hey, sorry I missed your text. I'm processing a nonstop 24-7 onslaught of information with a brain designed to eat berries in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know, Shelly and I were talking about football, and I know, I know you don't care about pro football, but everybody's talking about the Kelsey Swifty thing. Um this guy says, I can't get over the situation Kelsey has gotten himself into. He's faced with, one, getting destroyed lyrically, because Taylor does that, uh, getting called mm -hmm. a distraction for the team, millions of women turning on him, or absolute glory if it works out. <laughs> I wish him the best. <laughs> Super risky, honestly. You're right. <laughs> this, uh, this next one comes from Laurel's email. I love being like, Fuck's sakes, what now? When I get an email and it's just someone asking me to do things that are definitely my job. <laughs> yeah, I just um, emailed my boss something and it's I just started it with FFS. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, we both got to do it. <laughs> and that stands for free floating seals, right? That's what that means. I love it. <laughs> All right. In the spirit of baseball playoffs, one of my most magical times of the year, um, when she asked me what's coming on after the game, and I have the pleasure of telling her another game. <laughs> Unless you're in Atlanta and it's the Braves. <laughs> yeah, because that's night-night time for the Bravies. They're home playing golf at this point in time. Somehow I don't think she has said game on very recently <laughs> my my favorite one my favorite funny thing today is another baseball one thank you for capturing this during inning number two it's poop night in baseball but i want you to pay close attention to the poster of this tweet it's posted by Charmin. oh <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you listening and can't see, it's the Pirates playing the Phillies and the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. So on the scoreboard, it says P, the Pirate P, 0-0, zero, zero, and then the Phillies P, which spells poop. And that was posted by Charmin, the toilet paper company. You're welcome, everybody. Today's Good Feel story. This is a funny one. Here we go, Steve. Take us away. It's the age-old question of what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, for one New Jersey man, the egg always came first. CBS's Steve Hartman explains on the road. For John Amalfitano, the past is ever present. Everywhere you look in his Donnellan, New Jersey home, there are relics from a bygone era. 
I don't know what it is with me. I mean, I just have, have a connection with old stuff. And he says no connection runs deeper than the curio in this cabinet. That's the oddest thing of all. It's a chicken egg bequeathed to John by a neighbor who found it in a carton of eggs in 1951. The neighbor saved it because of the note. Whoever gets this egg, please write. Signed, Miss Mary Foss, Forest City, Iowa. John says his neighbor held on to the egg for 50 years and never looked for her. Then John held on to it for another 20 before finally posting pictures on the Weird and Wonderful Secondhand Finds Facebook page. To its three million members, he pondered, wonder if she might still be alive. So all those people who had egg on their Facebook hatched a plan, <laughs> scrambled, fried hard to find this Mary Foss. After 72 years, they expected an exhausting search that would not be over easy. But they cracked the case in less than a day. And for those of you keeping track at home, that was eight puns in 15 seconds. Do you remember writing on that egg? Oh my goodness, yes. And you were hoping to find someone to be a pen pal? Well, who knows? We all dream. Mary is now 92. But as a teenager working in an egg packing plant like this one, Mary says she used to dream of meeting someone in a far off place. That fragile little message in a bottle, her way of reaching out. Yes. And now, 72 years later, she has finally made her connection. And here it is. How are you, Egg? <laughs> this week, they came face to face for the first time. And uh, I hope we get to see you again. Would you want to meet John in person? Well, I'd love to meet God, wouldn't you? Oh. <laughs> no. Not God. Not really. <laughs> I have no desire to meet the guy. He's got his problem. He <laughs> that long. Yeah, you're saving 70-year-old eggs. Yeah, you got a point there. Well, when you get to be my age, you meet a lot of kooks. <laughs> Sorry, John. Looks like the yoke's on us. There's my uplifting ending. Steve Hartman on the road in Mason City, Iowa. No. You meet a lot of kooks, she said. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm only 53, but I find myself getting to that point of just saying what I think. You know, I am I, I ask myself often, and I say this regularly: WWLD, what would Laurel do? <laughs> Today's semi-quarantine cocktail, I call it the Florida hamster wheel. It's a riff on the Mexican hamster cocktail. I'm just keeping it in the weird animal lane here. You're going to need a little bit of Reposado tequila. One man who built a floating hamster wheel. Hang with me on this one because there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, so he built a floating <laughs> hamster wheel. Uh, a little bit of Midori. He wanted to run to London on the ocean in the wheel. So... Um, Little pineapple juice. The Coast Guard caught up with him 70 miles off the coast of Florida, and he wouldn't leave his wheel. And when asked where he was going, he dryly said, London. <laughs> A little lime juice. The Coast Guard said, this guy has no knowledge of ocean navigation, and he's tried this three oh. other times. Oh, and like Forrest Gump, he has run across the entire U.S. twice. There's a documentary about this.
<laughs> and it was funny when he was asked about about his motivation, he said, if you drive boat, nobody cares. Bubble, nobody did before. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, then. It, London. It also, they also said that inside that hamster wheel, it was upwards of 120 degrees because of the plastic. And the, yeah, I don't think he really thought that all the way through. So I'm not getting in a hamster wheel, but I thank each and every one of you for being here with me today. Shelly <laughs> Phillips was here. It's been a fun day. Go get some dinner and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>